Christmas candy, Christmas candy, hanging on the tree. Fine and dandy. Christmas hey there, welcome candy, to Shoot so the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm the Candyman. Oh no! And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. And eat candy. That we do. That we do. <laughs> and this week is the last episode of season four of Shoot the Flick. It's oh. very bittersweet. Huh? Uh, Get it? Uh. Get it? Because sweet like 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 chocolate. So here's here's the tea, sis and bro. We originally, like forever ago, seeing as how we did a Disney monthly series this year, we were going to do Nightmare Before Christmas as our Christmas special. But then I thought about it, and I thought about it some more. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of sick of talking about Disney movies. I want to do something else. And uh, the new Wonka movie's coming out. Oh no. We haven't seen it yet as of this recording, but I'm sure possibly by the time it comes out we'll have seen it and it most likely maybe probably won't be great, but it's it's fine. This is much better. But there's callbacks, <laughs> Frankie. No. There are callbacks. No. Shut up, Scott. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Hugh Grant's an Oompa Loompa. I give no fucks. Anyway, for our Christmas special, we decided to talk about and revisit the classic 70s film, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Now, um, I actually think that this is a great movie to watch around Christmas. It gives you all of the ooey-gooey, warm and fuzzy feels, while also being incredibly dry and hilarious. (laughs) And child murder, possibly, is in this movie, which you just love to see it around the holiday season. Well, when you lock five children in a chocolate factory with a madman, you know, things happen. Yeah, this is one of those movies that also has, like, a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes zhuzh that went into it. And, like, the budget for this movie was pretty much on the floor Yet they made something truly, not to get corny, but magical, I think. And uh, something that has stood the test of time. Indeed. I hadn't seen it in like a long time, I feel like. And it was both a pleasant experience and also a surprise in certain ways rewatching this movie. Because I feel like there was parts of this movie that I didn't even remember from my childhood. <laughs> Mainly all the shit in the beginning before they get to the factory. Lasted a lot longer than I remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I think the last time I probably saw Willy Wonka, my sister was like five or six. Mm-hmm. So it's probably been at least 15, 16 years for me. Yeah, I think what everyone knows from this movie is obviously Gene Wilder's performance as Willy Wonka, but he doesn't really show up to like at least half an hour into the movie, it feels like. But um, there's a reason that Gene Wilder's performance is ever remembered in this film, because it's amazing. He perfectly balances like a sociopathic lunatic with just a heartwarming ball of fluff that you just want to give a big hug to. But also be careful because he might stab you. Also, he is dry as fuck. Yes, but I, I love that sense of humor. Because everyone talks about like, oh, you know, Willy Wonka was really killing those fucking kids. And it's like it didn't register to me at all that that was a thing. 
in the movie when I watched it as a kid and I was like oh that must be like some fringe theory but like no he full on alludes to like these children maybe possibly perishing several times throughout the movie and it's just like blown over like ah okay shall we move on to the cotton candy room like what excuse me (laughs) well in all honesty not 100% his fault you know if we had some decent parents in here Oh, don't let your kid drink from the giant fucking river of chocolate. Okay. When you, when you're right. Augustus Gloop deserves to die because he put his hand in the chocolate river. Well, when at like eight years old. Well, I'm not saying. How dare he? I'm not saying he deserves to die. Well, it's kind of like you're saying that. <laughs> no, I'm just saying if the mother could control her son, he he even says it like, "Hey, Augustus, don't do that." And Augustus falls in. That's on him. When some of the other characters do some of the shit they do, that's on them. They are children, though. Uh, just because they're children doesn't mean they get away with it. No, they're still little shits. That's that's fair, I guess. But um, anyway, so getting to our preliminary fun facts here, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was directed by a guy named Mel Stewart, who at that point, I believe, had done mostly documentary films. But... His daughter really loved the book by Roald Dahl and uh, implored her daddy, please, oh, please make a movie about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The screenplay was actually written by Roald Dahl originally. I think he is the only credited writer on the script. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a second. But he sold the movie rights to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with the stipulation that he could write the screenplay. He is a, a very well-known children's writer, obviously. He's in a whole bunch of books. James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, Fantastic Mr. Fox, etc., etc. And they all have a sense of being very dark. Well, I would say whimsical, but also, yes, there's a darkness in uh, most of his work as well. So the script that he wrote, because he's not a, a super experienced screenwriter, he wrote the screenplay for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang a, co- ah. a few years before that. But they really didn't love all of what he was writing, so they did a a major uncredited rewrite by a guy named David Seltzer, who is another really uh, iconic 70s screenwriter. He wrote The Omen about five years after this movie, uh, and that's a a pretty iconic 70s film. Dahl was not happy, uh, unfortunately, that his script got fucked with, and he refused to sell the sequel rights, which wouldn't have worked out anyway because this movie made no money, but that's besides the point. So they changed up the script a whole bunch and they added some songs, which Roald Dahl was like, what the fuck? Why are you adding bullshit songs to my movie? And um, at the time it was released, it was a huge fucking bomb. It had like a $3 million budget and made uh, not even $1 million. It made $622,000. Nice. Didn't really reach any popularity until it was re-released on like cable and then uh, home video. Right. Uh, another major thing that made the movie what it was, despite Roald Dahl's lack of uh, excitement about it, was the music. The score for the film was done by Walter Scharf, who was a composer on a lot of like Jerry Lewis and Elvis movies. Like He's been around the block a few times, and he actually was Oscar nominated for the score. But I did want to mention that he lost to none other than John Williams for Fiddler on the Roof. Ah! But mostly, I, I do want to mention the the songwriters. Music and lyrics were done by Leslie Brickus and Anthony Newley, who were a Grammy-winning songwriting duo 
behind several film songs, including Goldfinger, with ah. the, the help of John Barry, obviously. Yes. We did a review on the James Bond movie Goldfinger many moons ago. Not all the songs are bangers in this. We'll talk about it. No, they are not. One is very, very forgettable. I didn't even remember it was in this movie. Yeah, same, same. But, I mean, the number one song is pure imagination, obviously. Well, yeah, it... We watched this movie and it was stuck in my head for the rest of the day. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about it more when we when we get there. Despite all of the controversy going into making this movie, it was entered into the National Film Registry in the year 2014. Really that late. Hmm. But I do, before we get into like the nitty-gritty, I do want to mention this other behind the scenes story cuz it's kind of strange but kind of apropos for this movie. So I don't know if you knew this, Scott, but uh, the film was originally financed by the Quaker Oats Company. Ah, no, I did not know that. Yes, they were hoping at the time to tie the film to a new candy bar they intended to bring to the market, the Wonka Bar. Unfortunately, there was an error in the chocolate formula and the bars would go to the stores and literally melt on the (laughs) shelves. So they had to be recalled. But I just thought that that was funny that a movie was financed by a candy company. Well, or yeah. Quaker. I don't think Quaker Oats was technically a candy company, but they no, were, they were, they trying. were trying new avenues. And it didn't really work out just like this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell how cheap it is just watching it. That is true. But there was also Gene Wilder. And I tried, me and Frankie had this conversation off air where I was like, is there anybody really like Gene Wilder. Like, he's such a different actor. To this day, I don't really have a comparison, like a comp to him. I can't think of anybody who can really be like him. I I said the closest thing just to quality, and I guess in some ways, like, style is Robin Williams, because Robin Williams, while... He did a lot of silly comedy. He also had a dramatic side to him. He did more dramatic roles as well. And he did have a dry sense of humor in his stand-up and stuff. They definitely had different styles and different airs about them, I would say. But a lot of their je ne sais quoi is kind of the same. It is similar. I I don't know. It's just it's so dry. Like, that's the difference, I think, between him and Robin. Like, Robin he, can be dry, but yeah. Robin was so energetic like it was just like right no that's true but i think he is too i mean just look at him in the well, producers that is true and then you see him in like the mel brooks movies like oh, he's he's got a dryness there too so he's he can balance both that is true well. it's just sometimes you sit there though and it's like some of the best parts of this movie are him just no stop don't his his <laughs> his not giving a fuck yeah one thing that i want to say that i really do love about this movie in general is that Despite it looking pretty fucking cheap, like if this movie was made today, that would be like the number one criticism. And I'm sure it maybe was at the time it came out that it just looks super duper cheap. But I think the heart of it comes out and shines through all of that, despite how janky some things look. There's still a lot of creativity there. And the creativity and the heart underneath it all shines through and makes it timeless. It gives it that timeless quality. Oh, yeah. The, the Once we get to the factory, that's amazing. And you want that to be, like, the rest of the movie. Indeed, indeed. So you ready to get into this, Scotty boy? 
oh yeah, let me go open the Hershey bar and the. No, oh, there will be sorry, no Hershey sorry. bars in this house. Only Wonka bars. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. So we start off the movie with a very chipper score, and we're kind of looking over this storybook-looking town. The film was uh, shot in Munich, Germany, because it was significantly cheaper than shooting in the States. Shocking. And um, also, the town did have a very storybook-type quality. It looked like it could be any nondescript village, any old place. Yeah. And I think that also helps with like the timelessness of it, is that it could be anywhere. Well, yeah, I always thought this was London, yeah, there's definitely a lot of Brits in here. The opening scenes before we get to the factory, there's a lot of bits. It almost is like we're in a Monty Python sketch show for a good like 20, 30 minutes before we get to the factory. Yes, indeed. So we have our opening song of the movie, which is called The Candy Man. Sung by the creepiest man. Yes. Uh, we're going in on a candy store and it's this very British lanky spidery guy he kind of looks like the human form of the bowler hat guy from meet the robinsons <laughs> jesus Christ. another random disney reference sorry about that but yeah he kind of looks like that guy and then he starts singing about how the candy man can make the world taste good and it's the way he's singing it is very creepy who can take a sunrise sprinkle it with dew for it in chocolate and a miracle or two. The candy man. And he's throwing candy to all the little children, not getting a single penny from any of them. Well, yeah, we kept joking, like, is he charging on their bill? Like, is this going to be like a fucking um, a Home Alone 2 reference where it's just like, what do you mean you spent $727 on room service? <laughs> we meet our, our main kid here charlie bucket who is longingly looking through the window at into the candy shop because uh, he's poor so he's left out of it and that's what you know the the vibe we're supposed to get even though like we said this guy is just throwing out candy indiscriminately to these kids oh yeah charlie could have definitely swung in there and grabbed a few off the floor you know what i mean at least but no so charlie bucket is played by a 13 14 year old kid named peter ostrom it's his only acting role that he's ever had. He definitely was going through puberty while making this movie. But uh, Charlie is the local paper boy. He has to have a little part-time job to make some moolah because uh, he's got his single mom at home. Mm -hmm. And then he's got his two sets of grandparents who are alive and bedridden. They've, they've allegedly been bedridden, all four of them, for 20 years years this little fact will be important for later i'm already annoyed thinking about it yeah a little bit we also have charlie walk by the local chocolate factory the wonka chocolate factory where he meets another creepy man yeah because there's like a legend surrounding this factory that willy wonka is like this expert candy maker a genius right and then he after a while had locked his gates to the chocolate factory because 
there were chocolate spies amok trying to get all his secret recipes. So he locked himself in the gates and no one comes in and no one goes out. And what? Why are you laughing at me, Scott? Because <laughs> the idea, because the way you said it, there, there are chocolate spies. So imagining spies. <laughs> like little spies made of chocolate. <laughs> yes. The, the main chocolate spy uh, supposedly is a guy named Slugworth. We'll talk about him later. But um, little Charlie is a paper boy and he is so excited on his first payday that he goes and he buys a single loaf of bread and he's like look it's a banquet family I've got a loaf of bread to eat with our celery water tonight. Well not only that okay so let's start with the bad influence of Grandpa Joe. Grandpa Joe who's played by Jack Albertson as soon as Charlie pulls out the piece of bread the mom goes, where did you get that, Charlie? And Grandpa Joe goes, it doesn't matter where he got it. He could have stole it. He could have killed a man for it. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. matter. He's our very own Jean Valjean. <laughs> Grandpa Joe is a piece of shit. I think you're a little too hard on nope. Grandpa Joe. Piece of shit. I mean, he's an old man, sort of set in his ways, I guess. Uh, I think he's arguably one of our villains of the movie. Listen, Charlie Bucket is our main kid character, right? And he's there to be the paragon of goodness in every which way. You know, he he gives his Grandpa Joe money to buy tobacco and he's he's a dreamer. He wants to break out of the societal chains chains of poorness and have a happy life with his family and he's just a sweet sweet kid. Also, I did want to mention Jack Albertson was also the following year after this movie was in Poseidon Adventure, which we also did a review on. Which is a great movie. Great movie. But it's just funny because there's there's particularly like, well, there's a few scenes in this movie where he's quite whimsical, but particularly one scene that we'll talk about where he's dancing about in this like janky little poorhouse that they have and like just being very gleeful and jumping around and skipping remember he's bedridden so what am i talking about but yeah it's just funny that he did that and then like the next year he was fighting for his life in a sinking ship well because you know grandpa joe <laughs> probably took some of that money from wonka and went on a cruise on the poseidon oh boy uh, the next day at school, well, Charlie's in class with his very John Oliver-like teacher, who was just like he's just making the most British, Britishy jokes. It is announced that the Wonka factory is opening up again, and we're doing the golden ticket thing. Everybody knows what the fuck the golden ticket. There's five golden tickets hidden in five Wonka bars, and whoever finds them gets to go to the factory and gets a lifetime supply of chocolate. Chocolate? 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 Now, we there is like a theory going on with this movie because obviously we start getting kids finding these tickets and with every kid that wins a ticket there just happens to be this very hard-faced scarred man that shows up and is whispering in each kid's ear and you know we are led to believe that it is slugworth the evil chocolate spy and it's i mean i'm not going to spoil anything because it's it's fucking 50 something year old movie 
it turns out that the hard face scarred guy is a spy for Wonka, actually. He's actually a Wonka chocolate spy. <gasps> to spy on the kids and like tempt them to steal Wonka recipes and stuff. So we were there's a theory that Wonka actually set this whole thing up to find these particular children that end up winning because also there's a thing where like he doesn't say the first five kids that find a Wonka bar with a golden ticket win. He said just anybody like anybody could technically find a golden ticket but it just also just happens to be five children that find it and yeah. at the end of the movie you find out he was looking for a child specifically to take over his factory true after he i guess dies someday i mean he's only 40 in this movie gene wilder so i mean where is he going but anyway well he's got to teach <laughs> the chocolate business and then you know retire right take 10 years let charlie finish out school mm-hmm. and then retire but where is he going to go? To Loompa Land. <laughs> to Loompa Land? No, no. But he also manufactures billions of dollars of sales. Yes. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, it really, I mean, it's the first thing Scott says, like, this is a genius marketing scheme. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, because later on, like, there's a bit where they're in the classroom and the teacher's, like, going around asking all these kids, like, how many chocolate bars they bought. And one kid says, like, 50. One says 100. One says 200 or something like that. So it's like... Between all the kids, there's got to be at least a thousand chocolate bars. And that's just one classroom of one small town. Right, exactly. Let's quickly introduce our four winners, because obviously the fifth one's going to be Charlie. Let's not fuck around. So we have Augustus Gloop, who is a German kid who likes to eat. That's his personality. He's fat kid, so he likes to eat. And... (laughs) We have Veruca Salt, who's the rich, spoiled brat, who, like, is constantly bugging her father to get her things. Actually, she never even got the golden ticket. Her father, who runs this fucking business or whatever, has all of his employees opening wrapper after wrapper. Oh, yeah. And then one of his workers finally finds the golden ticket. Well, that's the thing. She's the one I want to talk about real quick, because if we thought about that small classroom of like that was a thousand how many do you think his business because there's candy wrappers everywhere well yeah there's like a wall of wonka boxes yeah he's incredibly rich so that's her personality rich spoiled little bitch (laughs) (laughs) but uh, oh Oh, but frankie she's a child shut up scott anyway just like that girl that ginger bitch from lilo instead she's just a child that's not just a child frankie you think that veruca salt is not as you think the ginger girl is worse no they're both terrible i'm just i don't think they're equally terrible they're both pretty bad i found it funny while watching this movie personally that when she Veruca's running around every five seconds going, Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want that. And I'm like, why does Veruca Salt sound like my impression of Leia's voice whenever she says? Because whenever I do our dog Leia's voice, which I do quite often, I'm like, Daddy, I would like a treat now. Daddy, I would like to go outside. <laughs> I'm like, I guess I do a Veruca Salt impression. I, I guess. Know. Then we get another girl named Violet Beauregard, which her personality is chewing gum. Okay, sure. I didn't remember that at all. I just thought she was like a break. Like I didn't remember what her fatal flaw uh, was. I find it strange that like obviously Augustus Gloop is gluttonous. Yeah. Veruca is a spoiled brat. Yeah, she's greed. 
Mike TV, we find out there's it's just a kid named Mike TV and he likes to watch TV and he's like rotting his brain watching TV and he doesn't give a shit about anything else. That's fine, whatever. But then this girl, for whatever reason, I didn't remember her fatal flaw was that she likes to chew gum. Well, she likes to chew gum and she likes to chew gum like. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm like, okay, that's a bad habit. But like, I don't know if that's like the worst thing ever. I mean, it's more, I mean, she is really uh braggadocious yeah she she but is they're all kind of like that except charlie well she yeah she does have pride because she's like i'm the best gum chewer in the world uh, mike tv maybe sloth are, are they all like the that would have worked if there were seven of them <laughs> that would have worked if there were seven of them <laughs> if we did all the kids were like the deadly sins <laughs> so as all these kids are winning the golden ticket we get the family celebrating charlie's birthday uh grandpa joe gets him a chocolate bar obviously no ticket and then the mom sings a song here called cheer up charlie which is like seven years long talking about oh don't worry charlie things are looking glum right now but you're such a good boy things will work out for you when you least expect it oh yeah it's so boring and i don't care really is like it's the one song like i I sat there and when they played it like yeah nobody cares everyone fast forwards i don't remember this song i didn't either but then finally, when all hope is supposedly lost, Charlie ends up finding money in the street. Imagine that. Oh, imagine that. And uh, then he goes in and buys uh, a Wonka bar. You know, it's the last one, the last Wonka bar. And he opens it up. It's a little golden ticket. And all these grown fucking adults swarm him like fucking vultures. And his boss at the newspaper stands like pulls him out of the melee and he's like run home charlie run 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 and charlie runs home and runs into slugworth or who we think is slugworth and uh he shows up confronts charlie and he's like i would like you to get me an everlasting gobstopper from wonka's factory and if you do i'll give you lots of money and charlie's like okay bye and he runs away but charlie gets home and tells his family the good news that he found the golden ticket and he's going to the factory tomorrow. Oh, joy. Everyone's excited and he goes, Grandpa Joe, I wish you could come with me. Well, Grandpa Joe has a moment. <laughs> Grandpa Joe gets up out of bed for the first time in 20 years and he starts dancing around saying, I have a golden ticket. No, Scott likes to say that because Grandpa Joe sings, I've got a golden ticket. One line in the song where he says, I've got a golden ticket. That means he's evil. No, 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 no. He's evil because (laughs) he's evil. No, no, no. no. He is evil, but not because of that. He's evil because his daughter is working all night his grandson is forced to have a job when he could get up out of bed. First of all, it's not like he gets up out of bed and like does a fucking dance routine, Gene Kelly style, and it's just pirouetting and like jumping around. He stumbles and fumbles and like is weak. It took feet him two minutes to hold be- the fucking phone, sir. This is a musical, okay? We well, need- the next day he's walking just fine. I got you. I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong. Maybe he underestimated his physical prowess at his old, old, old oh, age. Oh, yeah, for 20 years. But listen, 
I also want to defend Grandpa Joe, this fictional character, by saying that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, most if not all of the songs in this movie were written before the script was done. So the fact that Grandpa Joe in the song, in one line of the song says, I've got a golden ticket, is not indicative that he's a bad person. And also, he in like the next two lines or something says oh we've done it charlie it's ours because well, yes. they're going to the factory well, yes, together yes 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 but it's it's see the line is more i have a golden ticket i have a golden gleam in my eye and then it's like oh wait it's actually charlie who, we have a golden ticket like oh yeah it's that's not just me we have a golden ticket grandpa joe is a piece of shit you're very hard on this old ass man, and I don't understand. Well, this old ass man. Meanwhile, the fucking factory chocolate man is <laughs> killing children, and you're like fine with that because he's funny, and he's Gene Wilder, so it's fine. But Grandpa Joe, Grandpa Joe lost his wife on the Poseidon. Okay, he deserves some fucking sympathy. Well, and he's got his other race. He's got his other wife, Josephine, here. Which, oh by the way, God. by the way, the grandparents' names oh are Joe. Josephine, George, and Georgette. Georgina. Oh, George and Georgina. Georgette is the dog from <laughs> Oliver and Company. You got those two. That, that's another movie that we talked about, too. Sorry, George and Georgina. I'm like, really, guys? We couldn't think of... I think that was that's like like a joke like i th- i don't know if you know what humor is but yeah. i think that's supposed to be like a little joke well it's a very bad joke <laughs> you're a very bad joke anyway <laughs> so charlie and grandpa joe prepare to go to wonka's factory the very next day for their wonderful little adventure and i'm excited because we're finally gonna fucking meet willy wonka now i want to express that Gene Wilder is the shit in this movie. Yes. And one of the reasons that he's the shit, and this is like one of my favorite scenes in the movie, when he is introduced to the peoples. After originally reading the script for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Gene Wilder did say that he wanted to do the role, but he would only do it on one condition. He would only do it if he got to do this particular entrance that he got to do in this scene, which is he walks out of the factory with a cane, a little limp going on, dead silence, a hush goes over the crowd, right? And he walks out very sullenly with his limp and his cane. And then all of a sudden the cane gets stuck in a cobblestone in the walkway and he's reaching for it. It's not there. And then all of a sudden he falls down whoosh and then goes into a somersault ta-da, and then jumps up and everyone claps now wilder said that he wanted to do that particular entrance because from that point on no one would know if i'm really lying or telling the truth and that kind of sets the stage for the entire character of willy wonka Yes, he is a lunatic. He's he really a, is. He's a genius. He's, he's very a, unpredictable. You don't know which way he's going. That's what makes the character and the performance so ingenious because he really balances on that line between just complete nihilism and warmth. Like, you really don't know. Like, he'll say the most deadpan dark lines with a big smile on his face. 
and vice versa. So it's very misleading and mysterious and you don't really know where his head is at. The only point that I think you really get a sense of like, oh, deep down in his heart, he truly loves this factory. And what he does is when he sings Pure Imagination. Yes. Because he really, despite the fact that he's not, he's not like belting it out like you would if you were like a singer on Broadway or something. Like this isn't Phantom of the Opera or Les Miserables, right? Oh, thank God. But you can feel the emotion and you can feel the care that he has for this place. Yeah. And that's, I think, what really kind of anchors the movie and like the heart of it. I, I feel like you can always go back to that and be like, okay, there's definitely genuine love in this guy but he's he's got some kind of fucking master plan here that you don't exactly know what it is but you're like on the train you're on the crazy boat ride because he's fucking crazy but he's also cool as fuck it really is like a pure sense of chaos but it's controlled too i feel like yeah there is a controlled chaos with him because he's always he, you feel like he always knows what the fuck he's doing, but nobody else knows what he's doing. Yeah, but there are times where I feel like even though he always knows what he's doing, sometimes I feel like he has no idea what he's doing. It's it's definitely a, a unique performance that I feel like could only have been done by him. And with that said, let's talk about all the people they considered to play Wonka instead <laughs> in one of our favorite segments. The, the cast could have been. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, they were casting this movie. So I, you know, relegated it to people that I could easily identify. That works. <laughs> First one I want to mention is Joel Gray, which I know Scott doesn't know who that is. Nope. Um, but he, weirdly, the year following this, did the movie Cabaret, which is another musical that's uh, pretty well known, except to Scott, because Scott's not a musical man. Well, I know but, I know the musical <laughs> Cabaret. I, I've never seen it, but I know. I, I've seen it. It was with Liza Minnelli. And ah. He actually won an Oscar for that, and he was a, a very musical man. I feel like he, because he also did later on he was in the original cast of wicked ah. so he he definitely has a, a je ne sais quoi when it comes to musicals as uh, miss darbus would say in high school musical but um <laughs> you had to throw that in there didn't you yep sure did um so <laughs> that that's an interesting choice that probably would have worked out well but i think obviously i don't think anyone's going to argue that gene wilder is the goat and no one else could play this like him but it is interesting to think of what could have been there's also peter sellers okay pink panther himself very different but very different okay uh we have dudley moore okay which also would have been weird i feel like that would have been too goofy yeah he if you don't know who that is there's a movie in i think 10 years after this one in 1981 called arthur where he, dudley moore played like a Ardbark? no what not that arthur oh, that would have been funny no he played like a like a millionaire who's like a big kid basically he's just like a very irresponsible they did a remake of it like a modern remake with um russell brand oh yeah i remember that yeah yeah <laughs> no so yeah they would have probably been a little too goofy we also have michael crawford speaking of uh high school musical because he was referenced in high school musical and of um phantom phantom because he played the phantom of the opera 
um, both movies that we've talked about on this show before. But that also, I feel like, would have been a little much. Yeah. Perhaps. No. We also had uh, John Pertwee, who played the third Doctor on Doctor Who. Mm. I feel like the Doctor in general is a good vibe to have when it comes to Willy Wonka, because he's kind of like just a big bucket of controlled chaos. He is, but I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe, like, I could possibly see Tenet, but I don't know if it's... I don't know. And then, of course, because it's 1971 and Monty Python exists, we have John Cleese and Eric Idle, who are both considered. Both make sense. Yes. But again... They're kind of goofy. They are kind of goofy. because, And maybe not too goofy, but you risk going over that line. Yes. Like with Gene Wilder, this was early in his career. Right in between the producers and Blazing Saddles. So he was known for comedic performances, but he also wasn't really that well known at all at yeah. that point. Uh, he did also get a Golden Globe nomination for his role as Willy Wonka. I just want to mention that. Although he did lose, again, to the lead of Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof, I guess, took over the world in 1971. I guess. But um, yeah, the last person that I really do want to mention that was... I don't think he was like heavily considered because of his age, but he did throw his hat in the ring and really wanted to be Willy Wonka. Fred Astaire. Interesting. Interesting. Now, if we were talking about Fred Astaire in his heyday, perhaps I feel like it it could have worked better. But um, because he was 72 at the time, he was considered a little too old. It would have been interesting with the fact of Wonka retiring. Right, I guess that would have fit in with that. So it could have worked? It could have worked. I think, I like, just based on that list, I feel like I get the vibe we were going for. It's interesting because that list does seem a little bit, like, leaning goofy. Leaning goofy, but also a lot of these actors have dabbled in dramatic things. Like, I feel like we've said this before on the show when we've talked about certain roles like that kind of cradle that line between drama and comedy it's really two sides of the same coin and i feel like with this role you do have to really just rest very easily on that line and it's a hard line to rest on yes especially in this movie because like we've been saying you have to have that warmth about you but you also have to have a mysterious quality you have to be able to turn like the crazy almost violent temper which he does show in this movie but also you have to have that base of of love so Wonka lets all these kids into the factory and he lets them know get get ready kids there will be quote-unquote little surprises around every corner but nothing dangerous wink wink and it's like you fucking liar what do you mean (laughs) what are you saying sir Uh, but again Nothing is technically dangerous until they start doing things that make it dangerous. Wonka immediately tries to get them to sign a contract. And all the parents are like, well, I don't think you should sign anything. And the kids are like, shut up, I'm signing it. I want to go in the factory. Veruca is just like going off on her rich ass dad. And Wonka turns around. And he's like, oh, nice, Veruca. She's a girl who really knows where she's going. Wink, oh. wink. And then Charlie's like, should I sign it? And Grandpa's like, well, then we have to lose. Just our lives. (laughs) But um, they go through like this weird rooms and like secret passageways. And you don't really, it it throws you off immediately because you don't know where the fuck you are or how to get out or what to do. 
So they they enter the hub of the factory. It's the pure imagination room, and we get the song. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. We also get an introduction into the iconic Oompa Loompas, you know, from Loompa Land. And it opens up a really interesting line of questioning as an audience member because Wonk is like, I, I took them away from Loompa Land, which isn't a real place, and I saved them from their violent overlords at, in Loompa Land, and I brought them here to work in my factory. And me, playing the role of a child in the factory, I raised my hand and was like, uh, Mr. Wonka, do you pay the Oompa Loompas to work for you? And then Mr. Wonka's like, no, let's move along. <laughs> <laughs> he starts speaking French. Yeah, like any time he is met with any pushback from anyone, big or small, he just like takes a hard left turn into Nowheresville. Like he just completely ignores it. But yes, the Oompa Loompas are little orange men with green hair and they're totally not indentured servants. Nope. It's fine. We get Augustus Gloop eating from the chocolate river because of course there's a chocolate river in the chocolate factory and Wonka like bugs out and he's like don't eat the chocolate river my beautiful chocolate cannot be touched with human hands it's contaminated and he falls into the chocolate river and completely ignores uh, Wonka and gets sucked up into a suction tube and his fat fucking ass gets stuck in there and then shot out through the tube into the fudge room Wonka calls the, the Oompa Loompas with his little flute and he's like can you please go get that boy out of the fudge room before he falls into the boiler and the mom's like uh excuse me what did you just say and then we get uh, the first of many Oompa Loompa songs which is like really haunting in a very creepy murdery way yeah the mom goes to Wonka, goes, do something. And he goes, stop, murder. No, he does it way chiller than I'm that. Sorry. He's like, stop, help, murder. murder. <laughs> and then immediately after the creepy song where the kid gets sucked up in a plastic tube and the mom is ushered away by tiny orange men, Wonka just looks at everyone. He's like, all right, moving on. And then just like la di da da moves on to like another candy room or some shit. Oh, we get the boat scene Yes, here. the boat. Holy shit. I was like so excited for the boat scene when we were watching this. I'm like, I can't wait for the boat scene. It happened so early on. I was like surprised. I was like, oh, the boat scene's here. Yeah, I remember it being a lot creepier. I think it was just the right amount of creepy. It's still creepy, but they, it's... They take this weird, crazy boat, go into a crazy tunnel on the Chocolate River, and the tunnel is full of terrible imagery. They kill a chicken, bugs everywhere. And like scorching and oh yes, Slugworth's there. Oh geez, the uh, icing on the cake is Willy Wonka singing slash screaming the boat song. There's no earthly way of knowing <laughs> which direction we, we are, are going. going, and then it just erupts into screams, and everyone's freaking the fuck out. Are the fires of hell a glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes. The danger must be growing, for the rowers keep on rowing, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. And then they stop. <laughs> and 
Burke is like, he's absolutely bonkers. And Charlie goes, and that's not bad. The script itself at that point is like, okay, that's like stupid. I don't think kids actually taught. I don't think any kid is like, and that's not bad. That's just a stupid way of saying it. But like it perfectly encompasses what the movie is. Yeah. (laughs) And and Charlie too, because he's just like, yeah, no, he's fine. I accept people for who they are, you fucking rich bitch. Are you happy now, Scott? I'm calling children bitches in this movie. I am. I'm ecstatic. Great. I'm so happy to make you happy. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so now we get the everlasting gobstoppers. Yes. Wonka takes them into like the invention room and he shows them the aforementioned candy everlasting gobstopper, which is like his newest invention that he's working on. It's a candy that is made for the kid that doesn't have a whole lot of cash, like Charlie, for example. So it shows that Wonka is all about making the big bucks, but also he's in it for the little guy, too. Well, yeah, you know, once he's already made a billion dollars in sales for this goddamn golden ticket, he doesn't need to make as much money on the Everlasting Gobstopper. Right. Well, the purpose of the Everlasting Gobstopper, I wonder how many times we could say Everlasting Gobstopper in this episode. So... The point of the candy everlasting gobstopper is that you can lick it as much as you want and it never gets smaller. That's what she said. (laughs) Well, he also says, he says this quite a few times where he goes, at least I got to do a few more tests on it. So I'm not quite sure. Right. Yes, exactly. And um, he also says to each of the kids before he gives them a gobstopper. You have to promise me that you're not going to share this with another living soul. And, of course, Veruca crosses her fingers behind her fucking back. But they're all little fucking shysters. Like, you can tell, because even Mike TV later, he's talking to his mom. He's like, do you think Slugworth will give us money for this? So they're all out for themselves, it would seem. Everyone wants money, Frankie. So after Wonka shows them the gobstopper, He then shows them this other invention he has, which is this gum that he's been working on, this chewing gum, which gets Violet's panties all in a twist. And (laughs) he's like, this is a a gum that is a free course meal. Right. So you get, uh, you know, roast beef and then you get mashed potatoes or whatever and you get dessert. And he's like, you know, I'm still working out the kinks or whatever. And then uh, Violet obviously just grabs it and tries to pop it in her mouth. And Wonka specifically goes, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't. (laughs) And then, of course, she just eats it. (laughs) She's like, it's gum. It's fine. Yeah, that's my thing. Gum, you see. And she's like, wow. That's the only personality trait I possess at this movie. Wow, I have roast beef. Wow, I, I taste the baked potato. And the father's like, ah, ha, 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 ha. And then she starts turning blue. Yes, the color grading on her face <laughs> starts dialing down to blue. <laughs> and uh, she's a blueberry. And she's filled with blueberry juice. So we have to roll her ass out of here. To squeeze. To squeeze her out. And dad's freaking out. I got a blueberry for a daughter. And the Oompa Loompas are singing. And you're just like, what the fuck is going on here? They're dropping like flies, these children. I just imagine Lucille Ball's in the other room, and they put Violet in a giant bucket and have Lucille Ball step on her. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Am I going to make some great wine out of you, sweetheart? <laughs> so we go into yet another room, because, of course, every time a child is potentially killed. Oh, right, because they say they have to juice her before she explodes. So yeah. there's always a threat of death. 
And then right after the threat of imminent death, we just move right along to another room where there's lickable wallpaper. Oh, my God. The, the snozberries taste like snozberries. Uh, so then we go to the fizzy lifting room. Mm-hmm. Filled with fizzy lifting drinks. And Wonka quickly escorts two of the children out. But yeah, because they're like, please, can we have some? Now, and he's like, no. Uh, now, Grandpa Joe. Well, let's go back to Violet for a second. Blueberry girl. Blueberry girl. Because Charlie looks at Grandpa Joe, you know, this paragon of wisdom, and goes, Grandpa Joe, why isn't she listening to Mr. Wonka? And Grandpa Joe goes, because she's a nitwit. So when they go to the fizzy lifting drink room, and Wonka says, no, please don't drink the fizzy lifting drinks. What does Grandpa Joe do? We're going to drink the fizzy lifting drinks, Charlie. Sounds like fun, Charlie. And they start to float. In the fizzy lifting drink room, they float. They float. We float down here. We all float down here. Damn it, we had the same idea. And they float up towards the fan that will kill them instantly. Yeah, and they can't hold on to anything because they're just floating up and up and up. And then, of course, Grandpa Joe lets out a belch and starts floating down. So they narrowly escape death float down to the ground and grandpa joe's like let's never do that again charlie and charlie's just like well okay you're the one that started this grandpa goddamn you're the one who didn't listen to mr wonka grandpa you're the nitwit so charlie and grandpa joe sneak back into the room with all the others and they're in this room with these golden geese and these big giant geese lay these big golden eggs and the eggs that they lay fall onto this big contraption called an egg decator which determines whether the eggs are good or bad and then uh immediately veruca because she's veruca she wants to have a golden goose and she goes daddy i want a golden goose i want a golden egg on easter and then it gets into this song called i want it now and veruca does her whole little song and dance about how she's a greedy selfish little bitch and she wants all the things in the world forever and ever because she is the best and she should share with no one as she's doing this song even in the background gene wilder just does a great job like veruca takes this like wrapping cellophane paper and like rolls it out and like throws it on wonka and he just stands there completely stone-faced and like holding yeah he doesn't move yeah it's just great and then she gets up onto the egg decator belts out her big final note the egg decator goes bad egg and she falls right no she Russian roulettes out of there. Oh, my God. I remember that show. And her dad is like, where did she go? And Wonka's like, well, uh, go where all the other bad eggs go, to the garbage chute, which leads to the furnace. And then the dad jumps in after her, and they're gone. And Charlie's like, are they really going to go to the furnace, Mr. Wonka? And he, he's just like, well, that furnace lights up every other day, so they've got a good chance to live, don't they? <laughs> basically is what he says and it's like all right pressing on 50 50 shot of being dead it's just like it's great it's great how he just like doesn't give any fucks (laughs) and then every time a kid is extinguished let's call it that extinguished 
the Oompa Loompas come in and give us a, a little ditty about how they're terrible. I, I, I'm surprised that neither the grandpa or Mike TV's mom look around and be like, are you going to kill us like at any point? Well, because grandpa's like, well, we have to lose. Our lives, Grandpa. You may not care because you're 177 years old. Because he's. But the... I'm fucking 12. <laughs> I want to live. Because he's the bad guy. He's he not doesn't the bad care. Guy. He cares about Charlie. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No. Stop saying that. Shh. You're you're just a mean, cynical old man. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Maybe I should stay bedridden for 20 years. Yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> maybe you fucking should. <laughs> So we get to the white room. Yes, where the Wonka Vision lives. And it seems counterproductive. Well, yes. The whole point of Wonka Vision is so there's it's a completely white room, like Scotty's saying, and there's a camera type contraption and like a box, like a TV type box in on the other side of the room. And Basically, what Wonka says is like, oh, I took this big giant chocolate bar, put it on this platform, zapped it with this camera, then it goes over our heads in a million pieces and it pops up smaller in this TV-like box. Only the difference is you can grab it and hold it and eat it, you know, like a real candy bar. And it begs the question, why do you need to do this? Like, Because you're making a big candy bar. Small. Small. The idea of like, oh, if somebody had this Wonka box in their house, you could teleport them just a candy bar to their house. But again, you are creating a big giant chocolate bar, which is a wasteful part of this. It would make sense if you could turn it back. If you could send it, like teleport it basically, that's basically what he's doing. And then at the other end, you could after you take it out of the box, the candy bar, make it big again, then that would be worth something. Because even Grandpa Joe's like, this could change the world. It's like, okay, not right now. Right now, he's taking a big giant chocolate bar, shrinking it, and moving it like six feet to the other side of the room. He's taking it and pushing it somewhere else. Yes, Yes, Patrick Starr, that is what he's doing. (laughs) If it was made for something other than chocolate... And, like, the whims of some fucking crazy man sitting in a factory for ten years, just stuck in his own thoughts in Loompa land, then, yes, maybe it could actually be worth something. But we're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> so, Mike TV, because literally his last name is TV, he's like, can we send people through the big Wonka Vision thing? And Wonka's like, sure. I maybe. Guess. I guess. I've it could tri- have some messy results. But of course, he doesn't give a shit about that, this fucking stupid kid. So he goes over there, and the mom's like, stop, Mike, get away from that thing. And Wonka's like, stop, don't come back. What's interesting about this movie compared to the Johnny Depp version Uh, And I've only seen the Johnny Depp version once for the purposes of ranking all the Tim Burton movies. And spoiler alert, the Charlie Chocolate Factory movie is pretty low on the list. (gasps) But I remember distinctly that in the 1971 version, you don't see any of the kids again. The ones that get extinguished. 
All the only confirmation you get that the kids are okay is Wonka at the end of the movie saying like oh don't worry they were restored to their old terrible selves and maybe they'll be better people for it now bye bye and then leaves the fucking Tim Burton version I remember distinctly I think it was Charlie like looking out the window of the factory and seeing all the kids leave with their parents and like looking definitely not the same as they did when they came in they're all alive but they're all forever changed by their situation by wonka they're fucking deformed which is great like we love that for them i mean i get it they're assholes but like do they deserve to be permanently scarred and deformed and change the rest of their lives physically i don't know maybe is that the real question we have to ask ourselves (laughs) in willy wonka and the chocolate factory the Oompa Loompas take Mike TV and his mom away. Charlie's the last kid standing. Yes. Uh, Wonka just kind of out of nowhere just like leaves and tells Charlie and Grandpa Joe, okay, see yourselves out, bye. And Grandpa Joe walks into Wonka's office. Which is weird. Yeah, it's like everything cut in half. It's a choice. I mean, you know, I'm sure someone at HGTV took some inspiration for that on some house for some weird old couple so this scene i really love this scene because it just it's another little outburst for gene wilder but it's so like raw and real like i really kind of felt it and i was like like i got sad for charlie when he was yelling at him and grandpa joe joe just goes like why why are you being like this to charlie when's he gonna get his lifetime supply of chocolate and Wonka's just like, he's not going to get it because he broke the rules. And then he just starts freaking out like, It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. He would have lost it all because of... Because of... Well, no because one... of <laughs> Grandpa Joe. Exactly. He would have lost it because of Grandpa Joe. But he gets it because Charlie is a good, good boy. He yes. is good boy. He is good boy. Because Joe gets pissed off at Wonka, calls him a crook, and he storms out and he says to Charlie, if Slugworth wants that everlasting gobstopper, he'll get one. I'll get back at that, Wonka, if it's the last thing I do. Which it very well might be because you're 172 years old. Oh, yeah, but yeah. But <laughs> Charlie, despite the fact that he is clearly very upset by this turn of events, puts the everlasting gobstopper on Wonka's desk and walks out. And Wonka just says, like, the sweetest little line like ah a good deed shines in a weary world and then he immediately turns around very manically is like charlie you won (laughs) it's like whoa charlie you won you get everything you get the chocolate you get the factory you get it all it's it's all yours i was looking for the best child and that is you charlie i knew it all along ever since i had those spies watch you while you were sleeping i knew it all (laughs) all right santa sorry sorry. so uh, yeah that's basically what happens though i mean he tells charlie listen i'm giving you the factory because i needed to find a child he specifically says i was looking for a child and that's what also kind of lends credence to the it's all a setup idea 
because he also introduces the guy that they thought was Slugworth, but really he's not Slugworth. He's a guy that works for Wonka and he was testing all the kids and you passed the test because you handed in the gobstopper. You weren't going to cheat me. And now I have you, a child who loves this place and has good in his heart. And this is this will be your home. Your family can move in and you will be rich well, and successful and happy. And yay. Well, at first he's like, I'm giving it all to you, Charlie. And before Charlie gets to ask about his family, Grandpa Joe oh opens my God. his mouth. He's like so hard on uh, this old ass man. This like, old man. Leave him alone. Nope, 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 nope. What about me? You no, too, he, Grandpa Joe. He says, yes, okay, so? It's Charlie's time to shine. The okay. ticket was Charlie's time to shine. Okay. It isn't Grandpa Joe's he moment. He had to go with an adult anyway. He's like he 11 picked this years hard old, working... 12 years old. He had to go with a chaperone. He could have gone with his hardworking mother. That's true. You're right. But he went with Grandpa. He's friends. He's close with Grandpa. He doesn't have a dad. He's close to his Grandpa. What's wrong with that? I just I ask you. What's wrong with that? Well, when your grandpa's a villain... He's not a villain. You're so mean. Wonka kills children, but he's not the villain. <laughs> That's what's strange to me. Because it's fucking Gene Wilder. So he kills kids, but he's not a fucking villain. But Grandpa Joe, because he smokes tobacco and wants to be rich, he's a bad guy. <laughs> and drinks a fizzy lifting drink. Well, he almost cost Charlie everything. But Charlie's goodness shone through. But yes, it did. The way it worked out, it all lends credence to the theory that Wonka set this up. I mean, I would believe it because Wonka is basically Jesus. He's basically Sandy Claus. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He He knows knows if you've been bad or good. He also knows when you eat candy. Yes. I love Wonka's reactions with Charlie here because he's just so sweet underneath all the crazy. He really is sweet and he, you can tell like he genuinely cares about the factory and the candy and the making the children happy like he has a couple of hugs with charlie that are just so sweet and sincere he even says to him the last line of the movie is like one of my favorites don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted what happened he lived happily ever after the music swells and the movie's over and if this movie had done well and Roald doll wasn't the curmudgeonly old man that he is I wish that we could have maybe got a sequel and see what happens eh. if Wonka came back. Eh, I, I don't need a sequel. I don't need a sequel either, but it would have been nice to see Gene Wilder in this role again, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah, I could have seen that. That would have been fun. But, like, I don't know. Oh, no, we don't need a sequel. We, we don't. Cause I... We don't need it, but it would have been nice, is what I'm saying. Why do you have to contradict everything I say, Grandpa Joe? How dare you? So that was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and this was a lovely revisit. So what did you give this movie, Scott? It's a five out of five. Yeah, I I gave it a four and a half out of five only because I feel like I didn't remember and was like kind of not totally hating on, but kind of like eh about how long it took us to get to the meat and potatoes of the movie. Yeah, it takes long. There's a forgettable song. Like there are things that knock it down. But the movie is such a classic. Yes. That I'm willing to forgive all of those. Yes, we got really lucky these last two movies, really, this and When Harry Met Sally, in that we chose two movies to end off the year that were are just so easy to watch. And, like, you can just really put them on in the background when you're doing something else, like decorating the tree or 
baking Christmas cookies and you think it's just going to be like background noise. And then you end up sitting down and watching it for the whole movie. Right, exactly. And the cookies burn and Christmas is ruined. But hey, you watched a good movie, so it's fine. It's fine. It, you can always throw the burnt cookies to like the orphan children of London. What the fuck is wrong with you? First of all, they filmed it in Germany. Second of all, why? Why? I love how you think Grandpa Joe is the biggest villain of this movie. Meanwhile, you're talking about giving burnt cookies to orphans and Wonka is in the factory murdering children. And you're just like, your your moral barometer is off. I don't know how my moral barometer is off. Because it makes sense to me. Grandpa Joe isn't giving burnt cookies to orphans. Last What's time wrong with giving burnt cookies to they get Why stuff? don't they get the good cookies? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Give Veruca Salt the shitty burnt cookies. That's fine. You can give Veruca Salt them. Just- Why are you an orphan, <laughs> So this has been another successful and fun season of Shoot the Flick. It has. Um, we will return for season five. We already have some interesting things planned for season five, if you believe it or not. It will come back uh, at some point in January. We're going to take a few weeks off to just breathe and enjoy the holiday and enjoy each other. Indeed. Th- this has been a really good season and I'm really excited to do more. Uh, basically, we're just going to keep doing this show till we get sick of each other and try to drown each other in a chocolate river. Or we just get sick of it and don't want to do it anymore. But I think we're really still kind of enjoying it, which is crazy. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And you know what? It's just nice to show Frankie movies. It's nice for her to show me movies. It's it's nice to revisit classics like this one. That's what it's all about. Yay! Are you saying my presence is a present? Your presence has always been a present. Aww. Ain't he cute? Forget all that stuff he said about giving burnt cookies to orphans, guys. He's actually really nice. He's a good husband. Alrighty, so uh, this has been season four of Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I am Scott Wonka. Make sure you check out our Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out all of our episodes from season four and beyond on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. Make sure you come back season five for our cinematic, everlasting movie adventure. Hugh Grant is a fucking Oompa Loompa Scott from Loompa Land. Pure imagination. Loompa Land. (laughs) Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination, take a look and you'll see.